Well, I really appreciate being able to come here. I thought about this the other day. In fact, I think about it every time I drive by. 1986. How many of you were here in 1986? Okay. 80, 19, Dean, not 18. <coughs> 1986. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I was here. I uh, went to college in Salem at what was known as Western Baptist back in the day, and I was in a singing group, traveled around. In the fall of 1986, our bus pulled up in Hillsboro. Never heard of it, never been there before. We showed up and sang at a Sunday morning here at First Baptist Church. And uh, I remember it, it was just, it was just fun to come in and, and do that. Um, I also want to say, Fred, I know you've retired, but you should go to the bank and just play at lunchtime. <coughs> you would... <laughs> my wife and I, Mary Beth, we have three teenagers, uh, boys, all boys, and uh, it's a fun adventure. One of the things that I enjoy about it is I get to see some of the, their heart light up about things that lit up when I was their age. And just today, I was out with two of my sons <coughs> because of schooling and, and such, and we were driving around. We were looking for uh, a pretty nice copy of The Hobbit by Tolkien. And, uh, and we, you know, we didn't want just to buy a paperback version. We want a legacy version. We want one that's going to look nice. So we were over at Barnes & Noble. They actually still have bookstores. And, um, and we're looking. We want a leather one. We want something bound. And we found a box set with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And it's my other son lit up. And, uh, you know, now they're going to fight for all this. And I think about this. I think how many things go around and come around, and yet it's exciting to see, you know, them light up on things. I went to the library and picked up today H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, 1950-something. Oh, I loved that as a kid. I'm going to introduce that to my sons. Uh, they've fallen in love with H.G. Wells and some of those older writers. Um and yet they've also fallen in love with stuff that I have no earthly idea what it is. Anybody have that? You got kids, grandkids. You know, it's like I, my son came home a year plus ago and said, Dad, I want to get a fidget spinner. Like, I don't know what that is. I had to look that up on the web. And I saw it. I said, what is, okay, this is Dad. What does it do? Well, it spins. I'm like, okay, <laughs> is there anything more to it? Yeah, if you hook compressed air, because I have a barn with a compressor, then you can get to spin really fast. <coughs> you know, here's what I've learned. Sometimes you don't have to get it. You just have to get it, right? <laughs> there are things like that in life. Every generation has its differences. Uh, if you study demographics in the United States, uh, you study that there are certain ages that they categorize and bookmark from this date to that date. You have those that were born before 1945. Anybody born before 1945? The builders, right? And you've got this generation that, uh, you know, some perhaps went through the Depression. Our, our dear neighbor Janie just passed away at 94 and a half, and she was born in 1924. And so just as a little girl, her parents walked her through the Great Depression. And that does something to you when you're in a generation that has such a scarcity and so uh, some, some of those are in that builder generation. Uh, some were born during the 1946, so after World War II, 
to 64, 65. That's uh, called the boomers, the baby boomers. Anybody kind of in that one? All right. Most of you are baby boomers. Yeah, right. You guys are the ones that cause all the problems in the United States, I guess. That's, that's what I've been told, at least. Um, born in 1964, 65 to 1980, that's, that's me. I was born in 64. And although I didn't know it until many, many years later, we were called Generation X, right? And there's this generation in flux. And then, you, you know, you continue on with whatever you want to letter them, X, Y, or Z, or whatever. Um, the most common term of those born between the 80s to 2000 are, are snowflake uh, millennials. And, um, and so, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, my boys are not millennials. They're born after that. They're Generation Z. I don't even know what that means. But I think about the differences in the generations. And I think about what God's word says over and over again. Because in the scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, you see this phrase from generation to generation. It's a good phrase. And it shows up, um, I've, I've you know, found about 36 times in the Bible, when it says from generation to generation. I like that. Because generations come and generations go. But from generation to generation, you have been my God or you have been faithful. We have been your people. Um, what encourages me about that is as, you know, I get into the, my mid-50s is that, one, God is bigger than my generation. <laughs> God is bigger than my age. God is bigger than my life experience. And two, God has been worshipped from generation to generation. That every generation has experienced the relationship of this loving Heavenly Father we have. And that three, we are called, invited, commanded to pass on a legacy to the next generation. And that's pretty humbling. When you're 20, it means nothing, right? When you're 30 or 40, you get to be 50 maybe, 60, you start thinking about this, right? You have grandkids. You start thinking about the day when one day, you know, you're going to retire and then you're really going to start living, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> and, and then one day you look around and there aren't as many people from your generation as there used to be, right? And then you wonder what, what's left of my generation. And then one day you might be the last of your generation. Our, our dear neighbor Janie, 94 and a half years old. I say that's a long life. And she loved Jesus, and she was a quiet, sweet neighbor. We we knew for the last 10 years of her life living out there in the country on Mentor Bridge. And, you know, just one of those thoughts of her generation is passing. And then the next generation will pass. And one day my generation will pass, and my son's generation will pass. And that is how it works. It's how it's always worked. And yet from generation to generation, God is here. Even though we come and go, he stays the same and constant. One of the problems, though, when we think about our generation is we're born in our generation, right? We identify with that because of ages and dates and events. We remember certain things. You know, uh, my boys don't remember any of these things, but I remember when, you know, some of you remember when Kennedy was assassinated. I was born the next year. Some of you remember when 
you know, Castro invaded Cuba, you know. Some of you remember when the space shuttle Challenger blew up. I remember those. Remember when the Twin Towers fell. We have these embedded memories for good and for bad that are forever locked into our generation. And sadly, the next generation <laughs> doesn't care, right? Because they weren't here and they didn't feel that emotional rush or that anxiety that happened when we lost someone, something precious to us. And so we're, we're grouped in generations. We go to school with people of our generation, right? Uh, how many of you went to here in Hillsboro, the old Hill High? Anybody? Okay, excellent. All right, which doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's a different place now, right? Uh, did anybody go to the newer, yet actually really still old, Hill High, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. And um, we, we do that. I just a month ago flew down to my hometown of Petaluma, California, and uh, was part of a funeral, got to preach at a guy who discipled me or started me on the journey of coming to Christ and hired me. I was a mechanic, pumped gas for him for many years, uh, a guy named Dave Law, and he had passed away. And that was 40 years ago that I came to Christ, and he was a key moment in that. But I looked around at all my generation, all my peers, and they are really old. <laughs> and I'm not. <clears throat> Think about it. You like music with people of your generation, the music of your generation, right? You like that music. You know, you watch old movies or movies that were, you know, about your age, you know, when you were young, and all of a sudden you light up because of the, the music. You go to places, and all of a sudden they play a song, and you, you just your heart jumps because that was in your teens or 20s, right? And we love that kind of music, the music of our generation. Um, you know, unless you're really wealthy on your sixth wife, you marry people in your own generation, right? Yeah? We look around, and we're all getting older together. You know, don't look, please. All right, don't point. <laughs> Usually you have kids with people of your own generation. And those kids grow up and they hang out and they develop friendships. Maybe some of them even marry. And you retire with people of your generation. And then one day you die. And that's just how it works with people of your generation. And the only way, the only way to leave a legacy, the only way to live, to invest your life beyond your generation is to do exactly that, is to step out of your generation, to intentionally and relationally invest in someone who's not in your generation, who you might look at and say is a little young and a little immature and quite a handful, right? Someone who you'd look at and say, but that's not who I would normally spend time with. I don't normally feel comfortable with that person because of fill in the blank, the clothes they wear, the length of their hair, the things they have on their skin, the music they listen to, the cars they drive, the whatever, right? And it's a challenge for us. And in Psalm 71, which is printed on the back of your, your notes there, the song, the hymn there, there's a challenge that David throws out to you and to me. And I'm only going to want to read a couple of the verses there. I have the NIV, God's version. And, um, sorry, and uh, I, I grew up on it. Actually, I grew up on King James, but <coughs> hard-pressed to find one of those anymore. King David is fearing for his life. He did that a lot. <laughs> he got in trouble, yeah. And he was afraid that his life would be cut short 
and that the next generation would not be the better because he had lived a full life. Uh, Psalm 71, verses 1 and 2. Uh, it's kind of an overview. It says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. So in December, for me, it'll be 40 years since I became a follower of Jesus. I, I grew up in a home in Indiana early on the first 10 years with grandparents that were really faithful at church. And so I tell people, I, I you know, the only drug problem I ever had was that they drug me to church, you know. And, and I, I wasn't necessarily happy about it because as a little five-year-old boy, you have to take a bath and you have to get dressed up in a coat and tie. I've got pictures of me in a coat and tie as a little five-year-old boy. And, but I sat there and I endured it, but I heard songs and I heard messages and I went to children's church and I got exposed to God. I got exposed to a God who was there. And as a child then, David writes about this. He says in verse six, from birth, I have relied on you. He's thinking about the whole generations of his life. From birth, I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. In my early life, some of you, you know this, you grew up in church or you grew up exposed to people, you know, in church. And so you, you understood what it was like to have godly influences all around you. In fact, I would say in your generation and even mine, we had a culture all around us that spoke into any and every young people, whether or not you went to church. We had support systems in our cultures that lined up more so with what we would say is the Christian biblical ethic in the culture. And whatever that was, whether it was scouts, whether that was school, whatever that might have been by way of groups, you know, we kind of all walked in the same direction. And David says, from birth I have relied on you. Then in verse 17 he says, since my youth, now he's talking a little bit older, like the young folks that are serving us and doing a great job doing that. So he, he's, he gives an overview of his life. Then he talks about his childhood. He says, from my youth, oh, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. I actually came to Christ when I was 15 years old. And I, I went kicking and screaming. I, I, was, I was the kind of kid that was fine. I was born in America. I'm close enough, you know, that kind of thing. I remember, I just remember this. I remember somebody sitting with me in the early fall of 1979 in ninth grade. And he looked at me at Petaluma High School and said, so, are you a Christian? And I started to sweat because I didn't know what that meant. But I knew my answer. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm born in America, right? I drove a Chevy. I mean, come on. No, not yet. And then, you know, that somewhat satisfied him until he asked me the next question. What kind of Christian are you? <laughs> I didn't even know there were kinds. <laughs> I don't even know what he meant. Protestant, Catholic, Baptist. I don't know what he meant, you know. Uh, I didn't have an answer. I just said, I, I'm the, I'm the church-going Christian, which was a lie because I didn't go to church, you know. But I just had to get out of this because I'm going to make it, right? I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. Well, that was in the midst of my parents separating. And ultimately, ultimately throughout the years, divorcing and a lot of brokenness in our family. And my mom started taking us to church because she had found Christ. As she was driving home one day, hopped in the car on the radio as a preacher, for whatever reason, she didn't turn the channel. She listened to it, came home, and she said, gathered us kids, my older sister, my younger brother, and I into her bedroom there and said, I want to tell you something. I've become a Christian. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of weird. We're all Christians, you know. 
right? And she goes, no, I, I've become a Christian. And then she started going to church and taking us to church, and I was not happy because I was messing everything up because now it's confronting me with the reality that I deep down inside knew but didn't want to admit. We ended up going to a youth retreat that I did not want to go to, and we were pretty poor and couldn't afford it, and somebody, sponsors in the youth group, paid our way, and it, I, was, I was determined to have a horrible time because I was going to go home and tell her why she was wrong to send me to this youth retreat. And along the way, somebody opened up my heart. And within a month or so, I believed in Jesus. And from my youth, I could say that. Man, a heart fell in love with Jesus. Some of you came to Christ as children. Anybody in that? You came to Christ as a child. Awesome. How many of you came to Christ as a youth? Someone in that age group? Yeah. I've discovered that when we come to Christ, those moments those experiences, those songs, those stories, those carry with us all our days, and those are the sweet times. And David writes about that. Since my youth, O oh God, you've taught me. And he says, to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. But if you jump down to the next verse, verse 18, he says this. He jumps to his old age. He's just given a chronology of his life. I like it. He says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O oh God, till I declare your power to the next generation your might to all who are to come. In Hebrew, the words old and gray are Dean and Hess. Um, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> actually, Dean and I have a longstanding tradition of jokes, so we'll stop there because he might get up. <laughs> How's that, buddy? <laughs> I told you I, I made a promise, no blonde jokes. Okay, all right, here you go. Even when I am old and gray, I like that. So even though he's threatened, he's putting his trust in God. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O oh God. But here it is, till I declare. God, give me one more opportunity. Don't take my life because I want to declare your power to the next generation. That's it. That's leaving a legacy. Your might to all who are to come. David is in this psalm looking back at his life. And he's looking over his life, and he's making a declaration that he is going to make a choice not to just live for his generation, but to live for the next. Till I declare your power, your might, your strength to all who are to come, to the next generation. I think every generation, everyone, mine, yours, younger generation, we get too focused on our generation. Um, I, I didn't see it when I was in my generation, especially as a youth, but I see it now. I had a youth pastor a couple years ago, and I was working. I was printing something at the copy machine. He came up, and he was excited about some software update on his laptop. And I said, yeah, I, I downloaded that, and I checked that out. He goes, did you check out this one thing? I go, yeah, it's okay. And he looked at me and goes, well, yeah, it's really for my generation. We, we understand those things. <laughs> now, I wanted to take his laptop <coughs> and deliver a blow to his conceited little head. Um, but I thought... You know, every generation does that. We kind of think our generation's the best. We kind of look at our generation and go, these are the prime days. And in many ways, they are, right? As long as we're not conceited and think that we have the greatest generation. Because you think about it, when you live for your generation, which we all do, when you grow up with your own generation, which we're so familiar with, and one day when we die with our generation, our vision will die with that generation. And yet God has been our God from generation to generation. And the only way that happens is when we pass on the faith. 
when I was just a brand new believer in Christ at my church, First Baptist down in Petaluma, California, um, I remember a, a couple, a senior couple, had the youth boys over on Saturday mornings. They would just have us over. They didn't know what to do. Well, she knew what to do. Bacon and eggs and toast. <coughs> and they would just have five or six of us over. I remember sitting around their kitchen table. She would make breakfast. And this guy that was so old in my eyes would open the Bible and just read some things and talk. And I remember being so deeply impacted. For one, my grandparents were not around. They were back on the East Coast, Midwest. And so I missed my grandparents. And so having this older couple was kind of like having a grandma and grandpa, which meant a lot to me. The fact that they would feed me meant a lot to me. And what began to grow in my heart was the fact that they were investing in a small group of men meant a lot to me. And I don't know if he ever felt awkward opening the Bible, reading it. I don't know if he ever felt like too old for that group of high school boys or not. But whatever he felt, he pushed through any of those fears by opening up their dining room table, their kitchen table, by having a breakfast, by once a week just saying, hey, let's just open the Bible and read something. That made an investment and an impression on me. And I, I'm not here to say how great Rich is because you know that. But I do know this. Those that invest in the next generation inv are investing in eternity. And the young people that are here that have served, um, they're a part of that eternity. They're a part of their generation. And they need our generation pouring into them. For me, it made a significant impact in my life. And now I do that. I spend time with younger generations. I have a group of six high school guys that I have lunch with on Sundays after church uh, as a pastor. So they come to my office, and we are going through a Bible study we've been doing for the last year and their mentor group that I disciple. And do I ever get frustrated? Yeah. Two of them are my own kids. Of course I get frustrated, right? Do I ever feel like they're not listening to a word I say? Absolutely, right? But the relationships that are growing, and the depth of their own walk with Christ and the conversations we're having remind me it's not about that lesson. It's not about that one verse. It's about the investment into the next generation. How much time, really now, how much time do you intentionally spend with people in a generation that is not your own? That you go around, maybe on a Sunday morning, let's say, and you look around the room, the auditorium, the sanctuary, you find someone that is not in your generation, then you intentionally go sit down and have a conversation with them. One of the things that I, I talk to my sons about and I, I share with our servants is, you know, at the church when we serve, we are naturally going to serve people we like, that we know, and we're going to greet people, and we're going to kind of make friends with them or deepen our friendship. But the truth is, when we're showing up on a Sunday morning or we're showing up at an event and we scan a crowd, we should be looking at the person that's least like us, whatever reason, color of our skin, color of our hair, the kind of clothes, the style, and we should make a beeline to that person because probably they feel uncomfortable, right? 
they probably feel a little bit more like an outsider. But more than that, for us, we need to be the kind of people that step out of our comfort and on the mission of sharing the love of Christ. But that takes intentionality, especially when it's outside of our age group because we don't really relate. Um, my wife and I take our sons to a youth group on Sunday night, and I'm, I just always marvel at the sponsors, the parents, the youth staff that stay all day and pour into the lives of our kids. Um, they stay out late cleaning things up. They honor those students. They invest in those students. We've got a couple, older couple, and they take them once a month down to the rescue mission in Portland, and they just go serve, and they feed people. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that somebody else is investing in my three teenagers, right? But there has to be somebody else to do that. People have to show up and be willing to do that. That people are pouring faithfully into the next generation. I was just talking to Rich, and I was just talking to my youth guy, and there's never enough sponsors, right? <laughs> there are never enough adults. There are never enough people to do all the things we'd like to do in ministry. And so we do it on a shoestring, and um, we wear ourselves out. And that's part of the calling. I get it. Um, but what we would love is for people to say, hey, I'll, I'll invest. As awkward, oh, as awkward as that is. As frightening as that is. As strange as that is to say, I want to declare God's greatness to the next generation. Don't just live for your generation. Pour your time and your wisdom and your energy and your experiences and your biblical mentoring, not just into people of your own age, but into those that are the next generation. Breakfast is a good way. Lunch is a good way. Having people over is a good way. Jumping into their, their world is a good way. Now, in the Bible, a generation was anywhere from 20 to 40 years, depending on the way it was framed. That means that if you're surrounding yourself with people 20 to 40 years younger than you, then that's what you're doing. Or maybe you're young enough to say, I'm spending time with someone 20 to 40 years older than me. That's living outside your generation. But if you're living within 20 to 40 years of your own age, it's your own generation. And there is a generation dying to see Jesus, dying to hear the stories of how God has shown up in your life. You may not look like it. You may not think it at first. But once you build a relationship, intentionally build a relationship with people, and you open up your heart to them, I guarantee it will make a difference. At our neighbor's funeral yesterday, just down the road, three people from the family shared. And I hadn't heard the stories. And as a pastor, you know, I ask him to write it out. It's always safe, right? And a gal, a little bit younger than me, got up and she was shaking. And, you know, I was put my hand on their shoulder to kind of calm them down. And as she was reading, I was reading ahead, you know. It's a little awkward. What do you do? Stand there, you know. Where do you look? So I'm reading ahead. And as I'm reading ahead, I start to get a little teary-eyed because I can't believe what she's written. And I start to cry, thinking, wow, this is amazing. Years ago, she was a teenager, just lost, cutting herself, tried to commit suicide. Nobody could reach her. And so you know what she did? She had a grandma invite her over. And every day she'd go to grandma's house, pick strawberries, hang out, work in the garden, 
And Grandma was wise enough not to say a whole lot, but to be there. And when they'd have times, Grandma would sit down and talk to her. And in her eulogy about her grandma, she said, my grandmother saved my life. Now, think about that. I would imagine that Grandma, Janie, our neighbor, had no clue what was going on, <laughs> had no understanding of how to reach a teenage granddaughter that's doing destructive things, didn't have the first amount of confidence and courage to enter into that relationship, right? But she was Grandma, and Grandma's cared. And so she just hung out with her. And because of just hanging out with her granddaughter, her granddaughter was many years later able to say, my grandma saved my life because she was there for me. That's what it means to be a part of another generation and creating a legacy that goes beyond you. God's plan for continuing his work for you and for me is to invest in the next generation. And as you look at your friends, and you look at your associates and the people you hang out with, are you intentionally building a relationship with someone outside of your generation? You look at your time, your calendar. Some of you have a lot more than others. Are you intentionally investing it, intentionally spending time with somebody outside your generation? We've got a guy at our church, Steve. He's uh, a little bit younger than me, and he hangs out with the high school guys. And he's just there, and he'll go, go on events, and he'll take them out. And every once in a while, I've talked to him. I said, why, why, why do you do it? He goes, well, I had teenagers, <laughs> and I know it can be really hard. <laughs> it can be tough on moms and dads, so I want to be that parent that comes alongside, that person that comes alongside that at least adds some stability. As a former youth pastor, I know the, the beauty of that. And I said, do you always feel confident? He goes, I never feel confident, <laughs> but I show up every week. And my kids love him. When you look at your experiences, what you've experienced in this world and your generations, are you intentionally sharing the investment that somebody made in your life into the next generation? Like I said, that older couple, I don't remember their name, but breakfast meant a lot to me because they, they didn't become my grandma and grandpa, but they loved me like a grandma and grandpa. Let each generation Psalm 145.4 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. So how are you proclaiming God's power? You have a story. You have a story of coming to Jesus. You have a story of heartache. You have a story probably of faithlessness in your walk. You probably have a story of heartache. You probably have stories of seasons of doubt. You probably have all of that. And the only way to give it away is to unpack it and set it down and one by one share with someone outside of your generation. Because the next generation needs to hear the power of God. God intends the older generation to teach the newer generation to experience him. My mom just uh, lives down the street here at Tarkington Square. And, uh, you know, she's, she's a saint for, you know, watching our boys and things like that. But... Uh, the last couple years, she's really come alive in Christ. She's been a faithful believer for many years, but had never been discipled. And so she's been discipled at our church. It's kind of weird that I have a church that my mom go to, goes to, that my, my church is discipling my mom. It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. Um, but she's come alive in the last number of years, and now she's discipling ladies 
And on Wednesday mornings, she leads a Bible study there at the church, and she has just this mix of ladies, young and older, and opens the Bible. And she never felt any confidence in that ever until she started doing it. And Saturday night at our church, I went up and said hi to a gal. She was sitting alone, and so I'm going to make a beeline for her. She's probably in her early 40s. I went up and said hi, introduced myself, and um, just talk a little bit, out of words, don't know what to say. I said, well, are you in any kind of uh, small group or class we've got here? She goes, yeah, I just joined uh, your mom's group. And I'm like, oh, wow, apologies. Did she, did she embarrass me? She said, no, she loved you. I said, so what are you learning? She goes, those ladies love me. That's what she's learning. Those ladies love me. So my mom, who's in her 70s, mid-70s, is reaching down a generation and loving this lady who's just kind of lost. I don't know if she's found Jesus yet. I'm pretty sure she will. But she's finding love, and she's finding a group of ladies. It's a challenge to get out of your generation. For me, 54 years old, I stood up in front of my church when I was 47, and I said, for the health of Sunrise, in 10 years I'm going to pass the baton of leadership off. I mean, I want to live and die here, but I don't want to be in charge. Here's why. Because that, when I walk in the room, I'm the most powerful person. And I don't want to be that guy anymore because people stop talking. I want to I start listening. And so we started transition process. And uh, when CB Northwest called me, I said, no, you're a couple years too early. Call back in a couple years. And uh, my wife wisely woke me up to the reality of what I should be doing. And so I sit with my youth pastor, who I really believe in the next couple years is going to be our senior pastor. And he's not even 30 years old yet. You know how that scares me? Yeah. But then again, I was 34 when I became senior pastor, right? You were 20 once when somebody invested in you, when you started doing that, right? The only way your church is going to live to the next generation and proclaim God's goodness for generations to come is if that generation sees Jesus. And they will see Jesus in you when you live that light. And it's not just transferring knowledge, but actually the experience and walking with someone and investing in them. It's not just transferring responsibility. That's easy to do. It's transferring authority and letting them make the decisions. Last couple years, I had to bite the bullet and allow younger people to change things in my church. You know how that goes, right? My church. 11 years ago, we moved over and the new location, grown a lot, painted it, did all these things. And then when it's about 10 years old, people came through and said, we need to repaint. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? They go, we want to repaint. I'm like, okay, can we do it? I go, yeah. What color? I said, how about this? Don't tell me the color. I'll just walk in one weekend. And I did. And those were not the colors I would have chosen. <laughs> but you know what? It's a generation of the 30-year-olds. And for some reason, that color speaks to them. So I got to bite my tongue, bite the bullet, close my mouth, and smile. It really came home a couple months ago when it came time to repaint my office. <coughs> I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you guys paint my office? What color do you want? I said, I don't know. I'll just walk in one day. 
I have a yellow wall. <coughs> and the other wall is gray. And the third wall is a dark gray. It's not what I would have chosen. I wouldn't have chosen that at all. But, you know, in a couple years, it won't be my office anymore. It speaks to the next guy. And we have to let go. And we have to give away, give away responsibility. We have to give away authority. And they will not do it like we did it or we even like it done. But if it reaches them and the next generation for Jesus, we've got to be all about that. Because I firmly believe somebody did that for us. And if they did it for us, we should do it for them. Because one day you will pass the baton of leadership and legacy over to another generation. And they will hold it and they will run with their life. And the, the baton won't be about you, won't be about what you did here. The baton won't be about your style, about your passion. The baton will be about Jesus. And as that baton of Jesus Christ is passed to the next generation, they will carry it faithfully if we faithfully invested in them. And it will look different. And the color will be different. <laughs> and the sound will be different. And we probably won't like things. But that's okay. It was never about us in the first place. It was about Jesus. I'm proud of you guys. I really am excited. 1980, you planted the church that I have the privilege of pastoring. I've been there 25 years. And it's an honor for me to be here because I'm only here because of you. I'm only a pastor of Sunrise because of what you did. And so many went before that are already gone who were instrumental in that. And they're already in the grave. And I've been to a few funer funerals here of those folks. But they believed enough to invest in the next generation. And now generations have come, come to Christ at my church, your church, because we're all the same church. It's about Jesus. So never give up. Never forget that if it dies with your generation, you haven't passed it on from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for just the ages that are here, the people that are here, what you've done in their hearts. And it's so near and dear to us, God. I pray, Father, that as we think about these words, as we think about David, that, hey, David's been long gone for thousands of years now. But the generations of faith still go on. Nothing looks like it did in David's day. Nothing at all. The clothes, the style, the music, the language, it's all gone. But you're not gone, Jesus. You're in this place in the midst of the differences in every culture, in every tribe, in every tongue around the world living out the gospel, making disciples. So may we be willing to see that and leave a legacy not about us, but about you. In your name, amen. <laughs>